0: Do you know how much alcohol you're actually drinking? 80% of us in Scotland don't. And that's why we are partnering with the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to be Measured campaign to highlight how many units of alcohol are actually in our glass. Find out more at scotch whiskyorguk forward slash made to be measured. And the podcast starts now.
1: I've launched the Scottish Conservative report Grasping the Thistle. This is about putting economic growth front and centre of our policies in the Scottish Parliament. There are a range of recommendations here that help businesses, help to grow our economy, ensure we've got more money to spend on public services, and make sure that the current and future generations have the skills they need to deliver for Scotland.
0: Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. We're recording on Wednesday the 30th of August. I'm Callum MacDonald. Thank you for being there. Thank you for finding us. If you are new here, welcome. If you found us as a result, perhaps, of the episode with the First Minister a couple of weeks ago, then thank you. Uh, your thoughts are very welcome on the podcast series so far. And don't forget to scroll back in your feed. There are so many episodes waiting for you to listen to uh, with Ruth Davidson, with Anna Sarwar, Jack McConnell, Alex Salmond. I mean, the list goes on and on. So have a little Scroll back, please, and see what you've missed. Uh, always unmissable are Jeff Aberdeen, former chief of staff to Alex Salmond. Hello, Jeff. Hello. And Andy McKeever, former director of communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy.
2: Good morning. Uh, you'll remember from last week, listeners, that Jeff was buoyant about <laughs> Lucas having slept through the night. And I have to say, I have to say, you know, you can't see all of this, it's only being listened to, but he does not look as good this morning as he looked last week, I'll tell you that right now. Oh. And,
1: and there is a lot of truth in that. It's, it's, it's tough. Maybe our guest a- can give us tips on how to bring up a young child.
2: Yes, that's right, Charlotte's a little older than Lucas. Callum, time to introduce. Oh, oh right, gosh. Uh, well, on the, on the podcast
0: this week, uh, we have Megan Gallagher with us, who is an MSP, but also Deputy Leader of the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Megan.
3: Good morning, and perhaps not too much advice, because I'm still balancing that fine act myself, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're doing very well, and to I take feel time to speak to
2: us. Yeah, to take time Did Charlotte to to sleep through the night last night, Megan? Let's do a little test
3: here. Um, she was up once during the night, which is a win for us, so that's not too bad. Not bad. bad. Yeah. Not
1: bad. I, 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 I haven't been down.
3: Oh no. Are you joking? That's genuine. I, I still remember. I mean, lo- those days were traumatic. I still remember those days well.
0: Uh, <laughs> how long do they go on for, Megan? Is the other question.
3: Um, Charlotte's was the best part of two and a half months, but I don't want to say that <laughs> just in case. <laughs> don't,
1: don't give me false
3: every, hope. Every baby's different, they're all individuals, so I'm, I'll put that out there. <laughs>
0: Do you know what? It's actually a really interesting place to start the conversation because not only are you juggling childcare to do this podcast, for which we're very grateful, but clearly you're juggling childcare and having a very young baby and being an MSP and being the deputy leader of a party, which is a heavy workload. How do you find that? How do you find the balance?
3: So I mean it is trying to find the balance and I'll need to be honest with you all, I don't think I've managed it yet. Um, It is something that seems to evolve and adapt on a a week to week basis. Um, What I will say is that recess has given me opportunities that I've not had out with, and that's time with Charlotte maybe more time at home, being able to work more from home instead of being in Edinburgh. Um, But I don't think um i don't think we've got any msp that's got young children who's been able to find the the right balance between at home life and indeed being in the scottish parliament but i think that's you know perhaps a a wider discussion on how we try and make hollywood a bit more family friendly it's definitely not achieved that yet i I was i'm really
1: interested in that sorry um megan where is the scottish parliament in terms of its support for members and any staff for that matter uh, and young children What, what needs to be done to improve it
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge question, but it's a a brilliant question because myself and there's other MSPs from other political parties as well, we're having active conversations together because it doesn't just impact one person from from one um, political party, it impacts quite a few of us. And as you've seen as well, we've had fantastic MSPs from across the chamber um, stand down. The reasons that they cited for stepping down was family reasons they just could not find that balance between home and being an MSP so we've tried to approach it through various different angles um, you know comparing it to other parliaments Westminster being one of them they actually have what I would say really good childcare care um, policies in place that would be better I think if Holyrood could implement something um, here that would mirror it um, but just now Holyrood they've got a crash, but The weird thing about the creche, and I have not been able to understand this to this day, is that despite there being a creche, and you can use the creche, you're only allowed to use it for four hours. Now, I don't know any MSP or any staff member that is only going to be in that building for four hours over the course of Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So, I don't even know why it's an offering, because it's for four hours, is your max, it's your limit. And, you know, you still pay for it, which I think is absolutely the right thing if you're you're needing that service, but why only four hours? Nobody can tell me and nobody can explain to me why.
2: Do you know something as well? I think that's really interesting because I had a conversation with an SNP MSP. So just to prove that this is not a kind of Westminster, Hollywood uh, conservative thing, an SNP MSP said to me, I won't say who it is because it's not fair, but um, also a parent of a young child said that the Westminster Also said the Westminster arrangements for childcare are significantly better than the Holyrood ones, not even close. Yeah. And it's so, it's so strange. We created this Parliament 25 years ago, and it was supposed to be all the things yep. that Megan's mm-hmm. describing. It was supposed to be the family-friendly Parliament with better hours and better arrangements, attracting more mothers in particular, was quite a big thing for this Parliament. And to find out from MSPs across the chamber, including nationalist MSPs, to find out that we're actually behind Westminster in terms of childcare, it's actually quite surprising. I think a lot of people would not expect that.
1: Yeah, and and, and I'm one of them, actually. I'm surprised to hear that. And this four hours thing seems utterly bizarre. I, I don't understand. And the reason I'm surprised, though, from that is is that the voting... Um, uh, kind of uh, processes at Westminster obviously i 've worked at Westminster before they still have you go through the lobbies yeah. and it, you know you can be in votes that take you up to, you know, 10, 11, even at 12 o'clock at night sometimes, you know. And, uh, and I, so I thought instinctively the fact that we've got electronic voting would make that a little bit easier for parents. But actually what you're saying is it's, 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 it's the opposite's true. true. Um, surely that's got to be looked at. I mean, that's got to be looked at as a priority from the, from the parliamentary authorities. It has to be said it's not a matter for any political party, but the, the parliament needs to look at that.
3: I, I would say so, and you know, I've asked questions. Other MSPs have asked questions about it, and I do believe that it is being looked into. But nothing has, you, you know, been documented. Nothing has been produced for us to look at to say, right, okay, this would work, this wouldn't work. Um, and I don't really know if they're consulting MSPs that have got family, young families. So it's it's all just a little bit up in the air just now. Um, but until they get something in place. I think what the message that I'm certainly getting is, don't go into politics until you're that little bit older, until your kids have grown up, they're you know at secondary school perhaps, and you're able to, to balance that a little bit more better. But I, I just don't understand it. And I, I think you know there's got to be a, a, an effort in all political parties' parts to, to try and put something in place that does work.
0: Yeah, definitely. Just seems like the sensible thing, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Try arguing against it, basically, yeah. is the thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of the parliament itself, I'm I'm so intrigued by by stories that we've heard. I have to say, primarily from SNP MSPs about the kind of atmosphere in Parliament. In the, I suppose in the session that just ended, um, obviously we're in recess at the mall. but they were saying that it's, it's actually a really difficult atmosphere in Parliament just now. Um, I just wonder what your experience is, Megan, obviously from the Scottish Conservatives' point of view. Does it feel collegiate? Does it feel like it's, frankly, ticking the other boxes that the Parliament was designed to, that it should be a friendly, debate-filled atmosphere, but of people working for good?
3: No, I, I don't feel that that is the case at all. I would actually, you know, echo the comments that you've you've had from various other MSPs, SNP MSPs. Um, I'm finding it's it, it's very, if I can use the word tribal at the moment. You know, we're not we're not looking at an approach in terms of you know a one direction approach for the big ticket items that we really should be looking at as as, as politicians. I find that. Particularly when it comes to Scottish Conservatives, if we are putting up sensible proposals, they'll be voted down not because there's anything wrong with the proposals, simply because it's been proposed by a Scottish Conservative MSP. That happened to me um, you know, just before I went on maternity leave over the childcare um, issues, the rollout of eleven forty childcare issues. I put forward a sensible amendment and it was just to recognise concerns that third party organisations had about the rollout of the policy. That was voted down by SNP ministers, and the explanation was basically, we're not accepting that. There was nothing to actually you know, give more of a reason as to why that, that, that amendment wouldn't be accepted, and we're seeing that happen more often. I don't know if it's because we've got the scenario just now where you've got the SNP and Greens in government and, you know, they can make the policies and they can vote through the policies. They don't need to really approach other political parties in order to gain those votes. But I think that also shows that there is a problem with the parliament because the SNP and Greens seem to have it stitched up and they don't really need to rely on any of the other political parties in order to make policies happen. Mm. And do you wonder if
0: I might ask you on that, it, it just in, in sort of comparative perspective historically, uh, have the Scottish Tories always had a bit of a rough ride from the other parties in Parliament just by virtue of being Conservatives?
2: Yes, um, always and always will. Um, you know, if I go back, I, I was there in two thousand and two. I started so really just uh, two thousand and one. Maybe was it was actually one of two thousand and one or two thousand and two. So really, just after the parliament got underway um, under uh, David McClellan at that time as Tory leader. So it was always there was always an issue with the toxicity of the Tory party and um, the uh, unwillingness of anybody else to work with the Tory party, certainly in, in any kind of official way. And that will that will always be the case. That's just where. Um, Scotland is with the tories that 's not going to change um, but I think the thing that has changed at the most is uh, the debate on independence that 's what that 's the game changer here um because if you compare it to Jeff's time in government, uh, for instance, the, the Parliament from 2007 to 2011 was an SNP minority with how many seats for the SNP, Jeff? 55 or thereabouts, something like that? Oh, no, no. We, well we, short of a majority. Was it was it less than that? 47, 46 was it was 47-46. Was it? Yeah, I think. Of course. Because it was, was only one. just, yeah, that's right. One. It was only only just a, yeah. Mm. And, and what happened there was that Annabelle Goldie, as leader of the Tories, effectively propped the SNP up semi semi-in-secret, because, um, you know, Alex Salmon didn't really want anybody to know. Um, but that that was viable then, mainly because independence was not really on the table. Nobody really expected at that point that the 2011 majority would be arriving. So people obviously thought, you know, that everybody knew the SNP believed in independence, but nobody saw it as being a viable, very tangible threat because nobody really thought the nationalists would be getting a majority in parliament anytime soon. Mm. So that relationship was more possible. I think at the moment that relationship would be impossible. But maybe Megan will say differently. I mean you know, interesting yesterday Megan from Douglas on, on the tax stuff, and we might get into a bit more detail on that earlier on. But the implication of what Douglas is saying yesterday is you don't need to work with the Greens. Get rid of the Greens because they're damaging Scotland. OK, that's fine. But the implication to that is, but if you want to pass your budgets and pass your votes, you're going to need help from somebody else. So is Douglas saying that he would be prepared to do an Annabelle Goldie, Alex Salmon-style arrangement with the SNP right now?
3: I mean, Douglas was clear yesterday, you know, we, we want to see... The best for Scotland. That is what we are trying to promote just now. That's why we put out the paper because we think that we've got some of the answers to the economic issues that we're facing here in Scotland. We need to remember that we're the highest tax part of the United Kingdom. We need to remember that growth has stagnated under the SNP um, during their time in government. So you know, we we are pretty clear that we are happy to work um, to try and get the right policies in place to better the lives of Scots up and down the country. Um, you know, I think. Douglas is right to say that he does need to, you know, the SNP does need to ditch the Greens. They are toxic. And as you see just now with things like the deposit return scheme, you know, that was a complete and utter farce. Um, You know, we're seeing various other, we can't even duel the A9, the A96. Let's be honest, that is because the Greens are in government, that we're not dueling those essential roads. So there's things that the Greens are really stopping from progressing whilst they're in government. And I think that's why we do need to try and find other ways through to try and get better policies through this government. The, the, the SNP, at end of the day, SMP needs to ditch, uh, ditch the Greens.
1: <laughs> Can I just come in on that, though? Megan, I mean, I, I thought Douglas Ross actually did uh, a decent job yesterday in terms of outlining a, a policy platform in the economy where he thinks he can make some inroads. Uh, but let's not kid ourselves, the Tories have no interest in the SNP losing the Greens, um, likewise Labour Party, because the political opportunity for them to continue to make hay while the sun shines as they see it is, is there. Um, so I think you know, from a purely political point of view um, uh, the, the Tories and Labour can only benefit from what is perceived and, and even the poll that we did last week uh, a majority of, of voters or, or a large portion of voters, a big margin of voter, uh, voters are, are are not particularly convinced on the, on the Green Deal in, in government. But can I come back to, to say something uh, that you talked about votes in the parliament? I think it would be very sensible for the SNP to try and reach an agreement with other parties on some levels of legislation Um, because one of the biggest charges they face is just the conversation we've been having is that they're just relying on the Greens they can um, uh, get anything they want through without uh, any resistance because they have the numbers what a great way to try and can uh, uh, kind of dispel that uh, narrative if you could find some issues on a cross-party basis, um, and I think I think it would be wise politically for them to do that. Um, uh, pretty short order.
3: I, I, I would be inclined to agree with that, but unfortunately, what we're seeing just now with the SNP is that there doesn't seem to be a willingness for that and as I said you know it's over things that are really quite small in terms of amendments to government motions they won't even accept it even if it is a sensible amendment they just choose not to because you happen to have that you know you happen to be under a a conservative badge and that that's where I really struggle because if you've got an issue that's really important and should be cross-party should be collegiate There really shouldn't be an issue there, but it's because you're bringing it forward and it's not a member of the SNP or the SNP Scottish Government that's bringing it forward. That's not going to pass. I mean, I I don't understand to this day why the SNP are still being so iffy about Douglas Rossi's Right to Recovery Bill. There are some really, really good things in there. We might disagree about other elements of, of drug policy, but there are some really good elements in that bill that could really improve the lives of people who suffer from drug addiction. But again, we seem to have the SNP, you know, dragging their feet on this. And yes, I understand the recent um, statistics that came out to say that there was a decline in the number of drug related deaths. But I think we still need to have that honest conversation. One death is one death too many. So there are things that we can work on collegiately, but the SNP need to come with us on that journey. We're the ones that are coming up with the ideas. We're trying to promote those ideas but the SNP just are are not hearing it for whatever reason, whether that be political or whether that be because they didn't come up with it themselves. In principle, then, Megan,
2: is the door open to a 2007-style agreement? I mean, would you, because things have changed on, on independence since then so markedly, is the Tory door closed as well? Or, in principle, would you guys be happy to work with a nationalist... Led government on an informal basis to get things done.
3: I mean, I, I do believe that they would have to drop their independence narrative before we could have those discussions. I think that that is probably the biggest stumbling block. And you you referred to that earlier on, Andy, um, because I think what we are seeing just now is again, it's just what we, we value is wasteful money spending that spending money on, for example, an independence minister. Um, you know, spending you know resources looking at SMP. S- 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 independence documents to go through the Scottish Government it just it doesn't make sense to us so I think if they were able to drop that narrative then the door might be open yeah, but- well, but I mean, then that's kind of the thing same. Is that not just the happen. same in reverse,
2: though? That's, that's just the same as them saying, we won't work with you because you're Tories. That's kind of the same as you saying, we'll not work with you because you're nationalists. I'm, I'm not sure that's any different to what they are saying to you. I
3: think, I think yeah. it is, though, because, I mean, if, if they're... Because we, we know that support for independence is not increasing. You know, we, we know that we're not... Um, we're not about to go into an independence referendum at any point soon. So I think with that, there is an opportunity just now to sort out the big problem that the country is facing cost of living crisis being one of them and you know I think that that the independence narrative should be dropped because they are bigger issues in in my view and I think that would be the narrative of people up and down the country if if I'm being honest.
1: Megan, I mean, you can't ask the SNP to say drop independence for no, the I'm, not saying, might, I'm not saying for
3: them to drop independence, I mean, independence entirely. I mean, I'm not saying that. That that is their bread and butter, isn't it? But they are continuing on with, you know, we're going to, you know, make the next election a de facto election on. And I mean, that's the kind of things that they should be dropping. But but, but, but you, you know, and,
1: and and you know, Andy talks a lot about 2007 to 2011. And he's right, you know, um, Annabelle Goldie did support the Scottish Government uh, in a few areas, but so did other parties as well on on certain um, um, areas as well. And throughout that time, we were always... Talking about independence, and we had um, a national conversation at the time which was somewhat ridiculed by our opponents, but it started the ball rolling, so to speak. So, why can't we come to an arrangement where you say, Right, we'll leave that outside, we know you're going to do that, and um, we understand that, but on these issues, can we find some common ground and work on that basis? Um, and I think, I think this is what's going to uh, uh, the SNP's never going to stop believing independence and putting forward the case. And yes, independence hasn't moved markably up, but it's staying pretty damn strong. you 46, know, 47, um, 48%. So they're representing a large constituency in Scotland by that. But can we not put that aside and then seek to work on a policy-for-policy policy basis? I think there's some ground to be won there um, from any political party it's willing to do that
3: I mean, there, are, there is, but I think that's a two-way street as well. Um, and I think that's where, I think the big stumbling block will always come down to independence. I think that will always be a big stickler for, for political parties in Holyrood, it always will be. Um, but I do believe that, you know, if there was a proposal, for example, from the SNP government that we thought that there was merit in, in supporting, then absolutely we would. Um, so that that's kind of how we're, we're approaching it. But at the same time, I do believe that we need to set out what we're trying to promote in terms of political party, and that's exactly what Douglas's message was yesterday in terms of the the economic paper. But I think go, going back to the initial sort of introduction um, when we're talking about the mood of Holyrood I think you know we're, we're seeing the toxicity um, of the independence referendum still play out within the Parliament. I don't think that's going anywhere, and it's going to continue on. I'm afraid until whenever the the independence question is finally resolved, and I don't think. I think that will ever be resolved. I think there will always be people but in both sides.
1: Could, 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 be, could be resolved if, if the UK government wanted to allow Section 30 order.
3: Well, <laughs> oh, we can't keep on having independent representatives, <laughs> Jeff. We just so can't. Well, but, 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 yeah. uh, <clears throat> but this is the question, Jeff. Is, isn't there
0: a pragmatism on the part of the SNP here, which is to say, yes, we believe in independence. Yes, we're always going to campaign for it. We're never going to shut up about it. However... The realistic timeline means this is not an imminent prospect. And so in the interest of pragmatism, we will work instead on policies and governing with other parties for now. And the independent, maybe it's about the independence referendum uh, narrative, spiel, whatever. That goes further down the line for now until all of these legal issues are are sorted out. And there is actually a a clear path. At the moment, there's no clear path to independence.
1: Well, listen, I said in a podcast, I can't remember, two or or three weeks ago that I actually, and I, I know this would not um, uh, enamour me to the voters of, and supporters of independence, but I felt that Hamza should actually f- uh, be fighting the next general election on standing up for Scotland, mm. picking some issues where there is some real um, uh, import to. So for example, immigration, we have different uh, uh, requirements perhaps to the south of the border, and seeking uh, accommodations with both the Tories and Labour, whoever successful, on those issues issues, um, and particularly around uh, green industrialisation and grid connections to unlock the huge potential we have on offshore wind. So some really constructive policies, but use that as your way of saying, this is why you've got to vote for us, alongside saying, and we will put independence to the touch in 2026 at the next Holyrood elections, and give time to build, you know, particularly the economic cases I've said so many times, um, um, uh, up uh, to, to take account of Brexit, which has been, let's face it, we're talking about growth stagnating in Scotland. And yes, uh, that is is very worrying. But there's a big reason for that as well. And we can't ignore Brexit. And so that's my position. I think that's what he should do. Buy himself some time, establish himself as a leader and, and put it to the touch in 2026. In the meantime, focus on making Scotland a better place to live, work, visit and invest. And you do that. By building a record, an incredible record. But we must return to this point, I think, because it's really, really important. If we are going to improve our politics, if we are going to improve um, and get away from this levels of toxicity that just about every guest that we have in our podcast tells us exists, there needs to be some compromise from all parties in that respect. And I do not see why you cannot have an SNP government that says we're going to put our case um, for independence separate to that with, with the Greens in support whatever and we will work with the parties on a number of different policy areas and then we need the similar as Andy points out accommodations from the other side so say okay we recognize that's your priority we recognize that is your ambition for this country and it is supported by a large swathe of the population but we'll do that as well on these particular issues and I think we just need a bit of grown-up common sense across uh, our political device. The sad reality is, we're about to go into one of the most febrile elections ever in the general election. Labour and Tories are going to be at each other's necks. The SNP won't be far behind in a Scottish context. And I just don't see it happening. And particularly we've got a by-election coming up as well, which is going to be a, 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 a probably a litmus test for that experience going ahead to 2024 election. So, um, sadly I don't think it's going to happen, but I I do genuinely wish i thought that the, between 2007 and 11 was the most exciting time to be in government because we did manage to put forward some pretty decent policies on behalf of the people of scotland that's really interesting
0: that's really interesting lots more to come with megan gallagher we'll talk more about the by-election after this ready to pop the question Holyrood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to be Measured campaign. A dram of whiskey, of course, is one of life's little pleasures. But have you ever wondered how many units of alcohol are in the glass? According to the Scottish government, around 8 out of 10 of us in Scotland don't know how many units of alcohol are contained in common drinks like a pint of beer or a glass of wine. The Made to be Measured campaign seeks to change that For example, a single measure of Scotch whisky, Scotland's world-famous national drink, contains one unit of alcohol, while a pint of average-strength beer contains more than double that. Scotch whisky, it's made to be measured. Savour your Scotch and find out more at scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. Megan, actually, on the by-election... Does it feel does it feel like the, the sort of from a Scottish Conservative point of view that, that you're a bit like a bit of a bystander? Now I, I accept, I realise it's a Westminster by-election, and so from a Hollywood point of view, you are by definition bystanders. But you see what I mean that as the Conservative Party doesn't really have a look in in Rutherglen and Hamilton West? <sighs>
3: Well, we'll always put up our, you know, our, our candidates, you know, up and down the country, you know, whether it's in more challenging areas or whether it's in areas where we're in with a good shot. We've got a fantastic candidate, um, you know, Thomas Kerr, um, the leader of the Glasgow City uh, Council Conservative Group. You know, he's he's very well known um, in Glasgow. You know, he does a lot of good local campaigns. And, you know, that, that's testament to, you know, his character and his ability to actually represent people and represent them well. So we've got an Excellent candidate. Um, you know we are giving it, our, you know, a, a good go. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see what the result will be. Um, I think it's always important, you know, in terms of representation, that you are able to give people an alternative um, vote. I think we are the alternative vote in this instance. Um, you know, we stand clear from Labour and SNP on many issues. I think Labour have been very wibbly-wobbly um, in terms of you know, some of their policies that they've announced recently and then decided that they're not supporting those policies anymore. Um, so I think actually you know we've got an opportunity to promote what we would put out to um, the, the people of Scotland at the next election, and we just need to wait and see. Um, but it will be an interesting election, um, but I'm just glad that we've got an excellent candidate to promote
2: noted. I hold my hands up because I don't care about by-elections, right? (laughs) By-elections are funny, but actually... They don't, they don't matter because uh, you know we've already on, seen with the three by-elections we had, no they don't they just, everybody makes such a big deal about by-elections and then honestly three days later nobody cares um, this is just, <laughs> I mean are, are you are, are you honestly telling me that the three by-elections we had down south last month or whenever, they I can't even remember when they were it's so, it's so uninteresting um, but are they going to impact on the result in the general election next year? No is Nadine Doris' <laughs> by-election going to impact on the result in next year? general election no it's not going
1: to make any difference whatsoever and this similarly the hottest from McKeever ever it's, Callum Callum no. we need to cancel our our, our by-election special pretty pronto to I said
2: no you see, we don't because by elections are very good for getting for you know, they're very interesting for people saying for politicians saying uh, sometimes outlandish things which aren't the case. And you know, we heard Ed Davey this morning saying the Lib Dems are going to win and Labour should stand down and Labour in Mid Bedfordshire that is and Labour saying we're going to win and they should stand out. So it's all good fun and stuff. but They don't actually matter, to be honest. At the end of the day, um, what what do, I think what you know I think what really does matter though is the other stuff that we were talking about before there, because we are at the point now, uh, and I think more so than ever before, where the actual outcomes in Scotland are suffering a lot from our political discourse. It's not just idle chatter anymore. Things are going wrong now. So Megan mentioned the A9. I think Megan is quite right to say the A9 and the A96 would be further on now. If it wasn't for the fact that the Greens were in government. So we are having outcome issues. But as Jeff said, what that needs is an atmosphere where we can come together on things that are really obvious. Like Jeff mentioned immigration, right? That is a really obvious thing. For all parties there's no point in banging on about brexit even if you think i mean i voted remain but even if you believe in being in the eu it's not going to change tomorrow you can't do anything about it so stop whining about it and get on and do something else instead right immigration could be a huge thing more immigration powers for scotland could be really significant for scotland devolving corporation tax again that's something that all parties could agree on if they could get the constitutional issues out of the way it's been devolved to northern ireland so it's not like it can't happen politics that are stopping it happen there are things that we could do right now that could significantly improve the Scottish economy and be a real game changer and the test for our political parties is really to be honest whether they're all children or whether they're growing up to actually get around the table and decide on some of these basic things that could be a big improvement for us
0: Megan
3: um, I mean, I, I think I think there is a lot in there. I mean, minus the... the there's no need for bioaction, maybe. <laughs> or they're, they're not uh, important. So for um, I think... I think <laughs> 'Cause I think it will give us an indication in terms of where all the political parties are in the run up to the general election next year. I think that is an important point. But I think, you know, looking at the big ticket items is so important just now. And I think Andy is right. I think we do need to move towards um a, a sort of grown up approach to politics, but because there's so many divisive elements just now within politics, it's just it's very difficult to see how that that could be achieved within the short term. I'm not saying that it's not possible looking. You know, more long term, Um, but I think we need the right attitudes in order to make that happen. But I think, you know, as Andy said, you know, with the Brexit question, with independence, um, immigration as well as, you know, you know, it's quite a controversial topic up here in Scotland. Of course, you've got the Gender Recognition Reform Bill. There's there's so many different strands just now. I think of of controversial policies and controversial topics that you just see so many different political groups polarised, and I think that's what's making it very difficult for everyone to come. Together to actually have those discussions, even in committees now, um, which is usually the sort of platform within governments that we can all have, you know, reasonable conversations and try and move forward in in one direction over big issues Um, we're not seeing that collegiate approach anymore Um, it's very fragment uh, very pragmatic and you're now seeing um, a lot of the 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 political parties sort of you know coming down on party lines um, Mm -hmm. instead of being able to have that sort of uh, free-flowing conversation to try and make uh, changes to various different policies.
1: I think there's a lot to be said for this. And, 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 but before we move on, I just want to first observe that Andy McEvers had his Weetabix this morning, really. <laughs> um, just to, 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 to polish off the, the by election conversation. It doesn't need polished, it's done. I, I, We're done. I, 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 I do tend to agree with what you say, uh, and, and a general rule of thumb the results themselves may not have an impact. Directly on our political discourse, but I think this one's pretty crucial because if Hamza Yusuf managed to squeak a win in this uh, seat, it changes everything for his approach in terms of moving forward. He'll take that as a vindication of his kind of continuity approach or seeking to uh, uh, as I put it in the podcast with him, the least path of resistance, a number of issues, and he may continue along what a trajectory he think can be successful, but if Labour win, and Labour win it big, I think we'll see a fundamental Change in the SNP's approach. I really do. So I accept it as a general rule of thumb, but in this particular by-election, I think it's going to be most revealing as to what happens next in the run-up to 2024. Now, if I may, Callum, I really want to ask um, Megan um, a question about 2024, uh, assuming there is a general election. I was reflecting on this, knowing that you were going to be coming on the show, and in 1999... uh, in the glow of Tony Blair uh, taking power in 97, the Labour relationship between Holyrood and Westminster was beneficial initially. And then it kind of turned from a strength into a weakness after a while. You could argue, actually, that the... David Cameron taking office in 2010, initially with uh, Annabel Goldie in power and then Ruth Davidson, there was some benefit to the Conservatives in that relationship. And then, uh, you know, largely owing to the, the antics at Westminster, Boris Johnson, we won't go into all that, but I think we all know, it's become a bit of a weakness for the Conservative Party. I suppose my question to you is, Are you essentially trying to hold on to what you've got at this general election? The polls are not good for your party. But if you can hold on to the six seats or so that you've got just now, is the the real opportunity for the Conservatives in 2026 in Holyrood when you don't have to worry about what your colleagues are saying in government at Westminster?
3: Hmm. no i mean we're looking to we're looking to gain um and we've got you know the the positive you know approach to the general election you know I understand polls are polls and, you know, sometimes polls are right, sometimes polls are wrong. Um, And, you know, we've all been in that situation where we've been looking at the the exit polls and then something um, either similar or dissimilar happens actually on election night. So I think we've got to take that with a pinch of salt just now. You know, we are still, I would say, months out from um, an election, whether it be, you know, within the sort of May, June time or if it's going to be, you know, a sort of autumn, perhaps winter election. We we don't know as yet. Um, um, I mean, I think looking back, you know, 2010, that was when I, you know, was looking to get involved in politics and I hadn't really sold myself on being a Conservative at that point in time, but it was actually David Cameron that, that convinced me in the end to to join the party um, alongside, you know, Ruth Davidson coming in as party leader as well. It just it looked and felt like a different sort of um, Scottish Conservative Party and UK Conservative Party as well. But what I would say as well, even though that we had... Boris in 2019 we still retained six seats, which was better than what we'd achieved before. So that was still, you know, a, a good result for us, even though we were up against what I would say a, a tougher a tougher election. Now, 2024, I think we've got a Prime Minister that appeals better to Scotland um, than perhaps what Boris Johnson did, Boris Johnson being quite a, a marmite character. Um, so who knows? But we're definitely looking at it from a positive perspective. I think as well, just now with the SNP, um, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think the SNP are going to do as well as what they think they might. Um, and there's certainly opportunities for us. I would say, you know, looking at various seats up and down the country that we might be able to take from the SNP just on the back of bad policy, whether it be the deposit return scheme that was a failure. Again, talking about the duelling of the roads um, being another one, the ferries again being another one. So there's issues that we would absolutely run on. Um, we can certainly do that from a Scottish perspective, even though we will have. A UK-wide message. Um, we will be able to tailor it and make a Scottish message for us to fight those seats. So, I'm looking forward to the election. Actually, um, I don't think it's going to be doom and gloom for the Scottish Conservatives per se.
2: I actually just just to come in on that, Callum. I I, I think Megan's right. So, I think the Tories will hold their six seats and might even gain a couple as well. There are some interesting seats the Tories could gain. Where are right. we for the Tory party? Well, the, some of the redrawn boundaries are quite interesting. Perthshire, some of the other seats, there are, there are opportunities for the Tories to, do, to hold and potentially even do a bit better. I think they probably will. However, that is actually a bit of a mask as to what's actually going on. Because remember in 2019, the Tories got 25% of the vote. One in four people voted Tory. Largely fuelled by the fact that independence was still seen as a live issue. Um, And Boris Johnson was seen as a person who uh, was the right person to stop independence. So a lot of non-conservative unionists voted Tory in 2019. Now, I think they'll hold their seats in 2024, but they're going to do it on a massively reduced vote percentage. And that's a nightmare for Holyrood. So that's where really you start to see the decline of the party is in 2026 because uh, because Hollywood is obviously proportional representation based at least in part. You then start to have a problem uh, retaining the 31 seats they've got at Hollywood, and this is the party's problem, though, right? Is that ultimately so many voters have been voting Tory based on the fact that they were seen as being the strongest Unionist party, and they were in Downing Street. As soon as Keir Starmer's in Downing Street. And there's not really any point in voting Tory just because you're a unionist. You just lose that vote straight away and you go back to really what has always been the Tory core vote of the kind of mid uh, to high teens. I mean, I think that's that's where the problem lies.
0: Let's go on to talk about uh, grasping the thistle. Um, is the is the plan from Douglas Ross the economic plan that's been announced this week? <laughs> um, I'm going to read from the Grasping the Thistle document. Uh, to ensure that Scotland's economy is not placed at a competitive disadvantage, it is our view that the tax on individuals and businesses should be no higher in Scotland than it is anywhere else in the country. Indeed, when finances allow, tax rates they should be lowered to send a strong message that Scotland is in the is the most competitive part of the UK to work and do business to attract internal migration of individuals and businesses. So he's looking at cutting both personal and business tax. Um, When? When? I'm I'm intrigued by this phrase. When finances allow. What does that mean?
3: Well, I think Douglas has been realistic. You know, we, we are going through, you know, really difficult times um just now in terms of, you know, cost of living and of course the pressures that have been put on the government on the back of the pandemic and of course um the other issues that we've got, you know, across Europe as well. So I think it's a, a realistic approach, um but it's also one to reassure I would say the, the, the Scottish population that, you know, that there is a there's a willingness from the Scottish Conservatives to make sure that we take a, a sensible pragmatic approach towards taxation to make sure that we're making you know as, as jeff used the phrase earlier um, scotland the place to live invest and visit um, i think that's really important and i think you know that that's what our document was all about yesterday it was actually about a, a new approach to taxation um we know that the smp have you know they, they, they moan and the whinge about um, not having enough devolved powers. I actually think that they do have enough devolved powers but what they like to do as well is they like to hike the taxes up within the middle classes. Now what they're actually doing is are squeezing the middle class and I think what we're going to see on the back of that is a lot of people perhaps that weren't on the breadline before on the breadline now and that's why we are putting out this document to say, right, listen, if if you are looking to consider voting for us or if you are going to vote for us, this is the plan. This is what we would do um, if we had the opportunity to do it. So I think it's actually a really exciting document. We've had some really good press on the back of it. Um, and even some of our, I would say some of our harshest critics have actually been quite um have been quite positive about it, so I, I think you know this is the first of what I hope will be many documents of us laying out our vision. I think it is an alternative vision to perhaps what Labour and the SNP would promote. Um, so yeah, we'll just need to watch mm. this space, I guess.
1: I, can I just um, step in there Is I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to know Megan if there's any inside story on the naming of this document Grasping the Thistle I knew you were going to say this I knew you were going to
2: say this <laughs> <laughs> <No answer>. Honestly,
3: <laughs> because... it, it, it wasn't me I was not the mastermind behind grasping the, <laughs> grasping <laughs> the not, for, for the, um, for the...
1: <laughs> for the political history buffs amongst us um, they'll know that Mike Russell co-authored with I yes. think it was a chap called Dennis MacLeod um, a book about independence and what needed to be done in the 21st century if I recall and it was quite controversial both internally and uh, in the SNP and out with as well but there were some good parts of it I must say in tribute to Mike um, I, can I just, just nail this down then um, because I think we all recognise, I think we've touched on it already in this discussion, that Scotland faces a decline in working age population. Now, we can all uh, discuss and debate the reasons for that, but fundamentally what can't be denied is we need to be able to attract people to our country, uh, particularly of a working age population. So we talked a little bit about immigration earlier on, Megan. Would the Conservatives support an initiative to Westminster that said, look, we need to have greater powers over this or devolution of this. And and there is a precedent. We had Jack McConnell on our our, our recent podcast who talked about how he managed to get dispensation from the Westminster government to allow this. Now, I know the immigration rules have changed post-Brexit, but broadly as a concept, would you be supportive as a party of any measures to try and um, attract people uh, to Scotland uh, within the United Kingdom?
3: I think all all doors need to be opened and I think discussions need to be had so I think that's, you know, if there's something that I can say today is that, you know, we would be open to to those discussions whether or not we would support whether we support policies of, of that nature would would need to see the devil in the detail, but it wouldn't be something that you could automatically say yes or no to. Um, but I think actually that opens the question as well of more discussions that need to be had in relation to our rural communities, because the reason that we have these problems is because people from our rural communities are not staying in our rural communities and we, we know the reasons why there isn't enough local infrastructure in place, transport, particularly public transport, is is either non-existent or very poor, um, and they're getting more opportunities if they move closer into either big cities or more urbanised areas, like, for example, Lanarkshire, where I'm from. So I, I think there's a bigger discussion there as well, that we need to try and make sure that our talent stays within our rural communities as well, but until we actually deliver for our rural communities, again, that's going to be another huge challenge in terms of what we're what we're trying to achieve. So yes, I think we do need to attract the right people, but we also need to make sure that talent stays within the villages and where they grew up and, and the areas in which they know as well.
2: I mean, look, the problem is that actually a lot of this does come back down to independence and... Um, the perceived inability inside the Tory party to do anything which has seemed to affect the union. Because what Douglas produced yesterday was perfectly good stuff. I mean, he's right, he's diagnosed the problem, which is, you know, hideously low growth in a really, really difficult and problematic economy in Scotland, which is not improving. But actually what you need to do is you need to undercut England. I mean, yesterday was really just about saying, let's get the tax rates back so we are in line with the rest of the UK. We don't need that. We need more than that. We need to undercut England. We need lower income tax here than they have in England. We need to devolve corporation tax so we can cut that lower than England as well and attract more business. We need immigration powers. Again, we need a competitive advantage over England. There are unions all over the world, Australia, Canada, the US. They are not afraid in different regions to undercut different parts of the country. We are uniquely petrified here at any impact it has in the union. If we do anything different, in Scotland that is ridiculous Um, and what we really need to do is we need the party of the centre right it's the only party of the centre right, the Tory party it's the only party that can credibly come up with these economic plans we need to get a plan from the Tory party which not only says let's get back to parity with England which basically says let's do better we're un- we've got devolution now. We believe in devolution. Let us get people to Scotland. Let's get companies to Scotland. Let's get jobs to Scotland. Let's get money to Scotland from England by
1: undercutting them. That's what we need. Yeah. And so, maybe, so maybe then we should be independent, Andy.
2: Well, there are two ways that that we we could be, right? We could be, but the problem is nobody can vote for independence when the perspective on independence is basically like growth death, because that's what's being offered at the moment. The other way to do it is through fiscal autonomy, which is what all these other countries I've mentioned do Canada, Australia, the US. They can all grow uh, within each other, but also with some differences in different states and provinces, because they have a much more grown up approach to how to hold a
1: country together. But okay, sorry. I'm fascinated, Megan's on this, but are you basically calling for the devolution of all fiscal levers from Westminster? to yes. because that good, right? We agree. Megan? Absolutely.
0: Let's bring let's bring Megan <laughs> in.
3: Um. I, I non surprisingly, I'm probably not at that stage yet. I think I still probably need to be more convinced than what I am just now. But as I'll always say, you know, I'll, I'll always listen and I'll always learn um, to various different um, policy ideas and various different ways in which we can improve the country. But going back to what the document was yesterday I think it was really important to say out what was an alternative to what we've got just now and I think you know in terms of putting that document out we absolutely nailed that um, it was definitely something that I think people can relate to um, and perhaps you know what voters in Scotland have been crying out for for quite some time so I was quite excited about this being the start um, of discussions that we are certainly having as a party um, and as I said you know I'm looking forward to, to what comes next because I think this will be hopefully a series of documents um, in which we'll be setting out our alternative vision and alternative plan for Scotland.
1: Watch the space on this because um, I totally accept Andy's um, analysis and, and I agree with the, the stated outcome but, but um, I think by introducing this at this time potentially ahead of the Scottish Government looking at increasing personal taxation there's going to be some clear blue water between uh, the SNP and, uh, and the Tories and actually the SNP Labour and the Tories so, so um, uh, the, it could be quite an interesting debate to be had um, going forward so it will be quite fascinating to see it un- unravels in-, in the next few weeks
3: No I agree.
0: Megan you've been really really generous with your time uh, in the middle of a busy day so thank you very much thanks for joining the podcast great to speak to you
3: Thank you very much everyone thanks bye
0: that's Megan Gallagher, who's the Deputy Leader of the Scottish Conservatives and also MSP for the Central Region. We're very grateful to her for her time. Lots more to come on Hollywood Sources. Next week on the podcast will be analysis of the Programme for Government as Hamza Youssef sets out his plans for what he wants his government to do. We will analyse them on the podcast. Your own reactions and questions and analysis as to what the Programme for Government means is, of course, extremely welcome. Uh, so do email hello at hollywoodsources.com don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast for 4.99 a month and it means you will not hear an advert you'll just hear the sponsor message you will not hear an advert at all Uh, you can do that on apple or on acast depending on where you're listening and make sure you follow do stick around we are just getting started thanks for being with us we'll talk to you next week